At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Well, the big thing for the players that are pushing is they want a higher percentage of revenue. I don't, you know, I don't know off the top of my head, and please, you know, double check this. I believe that it's, it's, you know, 20% or, or something like that. And I think the NBA players get like 50%. Um, so it's not, so that's what people have to understand. You know, the players want more revenue share. You know, they understand that the league doesn't make as much money as the NBA. They understand the difference, the differential there. So um, they're not just saying, you know, pull this money out of thin air and then give it to us. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week we speak to Athletic Buffalo and Athletic WNBA journalist Lindsay Darkangelo about the upcoming WNBA season. Also, I've got some choice words about LeBron James and his recent partnership with Walmart to fight hunger. And I've got Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down awards, both of which I think you'll find incredibly worthy this week. But first, let's go to Lindsay Darkangelo. Lindsay, how you doing? You doing all right? I am doing great. Fantastic. WNBA season uh, getting started. You pumped? So pumped. So pumped. There's been so much um, excitement and anticipation leading up to the season. So many storylines going on, and I... It really feels to me that the hype before the start of the season has never been greater, and that's something that I'm just so thrilled to see um, because I think it's just it's it's needed and necessary for the evolution of the league to continue. And it, it's as someone who covers the league and has for for years now, it's it's wonderful to see it happening on this on this level of excitement. I agree with that. Um, it just feels like whether it's my social media feed or friends talking, there's more of a buzz this year than I remember in previous years, maybe even since the the debut season. So how do you account for that? Well, I think the growth is real. I think uh, coming off last season, you know, you see you see new talent coming in. Uh, we have the, the Liz Cambage situation as far as her wanting and asking for trade at the end of the season and that carrying over to leading up to this season as far as nobody knew really what was going to happen the the draft class being as good as as it is the number of players who are really good being left off rosters just because there's just not enough space all of those things the the new CBA agreement that will be discussed at the end of the season all those remaining questions about what the players want and, and what they should be asking for. There's just a lot, and that has played into into that buzz. So let me ask you first the, the big question, which is kind of like the, the elephant in the room question about the league. Uh, so I'm just going to name these names. Uh, Brianna Stewart, Maya Moore, Diana Taurasi, Sue Bird, Skylar Diggins-Smith, 
laid down by injuries or off-the-court personal reasons. Is this a crisis or an opportunity for the WNBA? How do you see it? And if it is an opportunity for some players to break through, who is it an opportunity for? But how much, first and foremost, is this going to hurt the league? I don't think it's going to hurt the I mean, is it going to impact, you know, the beginning of the season? And was it a topic of conversation? Sure. I mean, those are those are all-stars. Those are big-name players who are are either not playing the entire season or who are not going to be able to play until mid-season. And, and yeah, 2019 has, has not been kind from an injury perspective. And if you look on at the NBA and you have like LeBron mm-hmm. and Durant and say Curry and, and Giannis, all those players maybe had some injuries and in, at the start of the season over sitting out. Yeah, it would definitely impact. But the WNBA has so much talent and so many other players, as you said, have an opportunity to step up and, and this, the the level of competition will not be hurt. The level of excitement will not be hurt. I think there are players on these prospective teams as far as Seattle has uh Drew Lloyd who can who can maybe step into that role to carry that team now that Sue Bird is, is not sure when she's coming back, although she did say she was not gonna be out for the whole season, um, even though Brianna Stewart, like I mentioned, is. Um Phoenix uh Phoenix Mercury, you have um Diana Taurasi, who's out recovering from back surgery. I spoke to her about a week ago. She is intending on coming back sooner than later. So we will see her. But again, you have um, Dewana Bonner, who is coming off a great season last year. And so she's ready to go. And you have Brittany Griner, who some people project to be an MVP, the MVP of the season to step up. So you have players on each team who can step in and sort of uh, – carry on that role or bide the time until those other players come back. So there's, there's plenty, there's plenty of talent to, to bank on here. Um, so I'm not, I think it's an opportunity rather than a crisis. Now you mentioned uh, Liz Cambage earlier. You, you uh, just mentioned Brittany Griner as an MVP candidate. Um, who, who are the other players on maybe some other teams who you really do expect to pop this year? Uh a, that's a great question. Um, so my, I'll just come right out and say it. My, my pick for MVP is is Liz Cambage. I think she has some pressure on her to kind of show why she's worth this trade and show the rest of the league why she was worth this trade. And I think she's one of those players who just has a on her shoulder. You know, this is who I am. This is what I can do. So she's my pick for for MVP this season. She was the runner-up last season. I expect her to do to do just as well and maybe more um, this season. Uh, Brittany Griner, you mentioned her, but yeah, she um, she had a great season last year too, and, and she's just poised. Her maturity level is just she's really evolved uh, from a couple seasons ago where she just had you know some off off court drama going on and, and she's young so she's really matured and, and come through um as far as other MVP candidates you know I'm not I'm not really sure I want to I want to see kind of what shakes out those were my top two picks there's there's other teams in the in the in the, in the league who have players who kind of rival each other on the same level you know so it's hard to know who's going to stand out in that regard um so 
Are, are you not Beyond particularly those... high on Elena Deladonna? Is she absolutely... Well, you know, there are, I know a couple other writers who, who have picked her to be uh, the MVP this year as well. Um, it's, you know, I, I could see that happening. I could see her having another good season. I know she's one of the players who's also starting off uh, recovering from an, I think it's a, she's got a sore knee or something of that effect. I know she's not playing in the season opener. So um, we'll see how she comes back from that. But yeah, she could have a, a breakout season too. Not a breakout season, but build on you know, her, what, what she accomplished last year. There's just so much talent, Dave. It's so, it's mm-hmm. so hard. So, you know, we make these predictions and, and you come out and say, well, this, this is who we think is going to be regular. This is who we think is going to win the championship. And it could go completely in a different direction. I've never seen it so wide open. Last year was, was pretty wide open itself, but this year is just, you look at the top uh, six teams and they're almost interchangeable. Mm, so, so. So you don't share my analysis of the Mystics being a presumptive favorite. And I know I'm, I'm a little biased. I'm calling you from D.C. I'm in Mystics country. Um, <laughs> w- what is it about Washington then, then that gives you pause? Um, you know, I think they uh, if extended series last year, you know, more than five games. I think, you know, they could, they could have had an opportunity to maybe pull out. But I don't know. There's just something about them where I feel like, they, they're like that that team that that perpetually gets to this level, but then can never cross that next threshold. And the, and I'm sure you it's <laughs> painful that analysis though for going it's forward. Not that, it's not that they're without you know the talent to get it done, but when you look at the Sparks and and the the Aces this year, I mean they're kind of the the people who are kind of just jumping on that bandwagon and. and and I, for one, they're just so they're they're starting five is just like an all star team. Um, so you know you have these other teams, the Connecticut Sun, you know, who, who the chances are really make a run this year, and then you have the Dream, who who were who had a great season last year, and then Phoenix or Phoenix Mercury. I always do that. Uh, Phoenix Mercury again. Uh, Seattle, I have questions just because their their two main players are out. Um, you know, and we don't know how long Sue's going to be out. So that's kind of, that's a big impact for them. But yeah, so the Mystics are right in there. It's just that, you know, there's just, there's the level of competition again is, you know, I picked the Aces to win it all, but that could very, they could very well, you know, not happen. So it's just, you kind of got to go with what you see, you know, on the roster right now and then kind of see what happens. Mm. Now, I was hoping you could explain something to, to my listeners. There, there's been so much in the news, and in a weird way, this helps the league because it keeps the league in the in the press when uh, when they're in the off season. But there's been a lot in the news about uh, the WNBA and how revenue is divided, and it's looking like the players are going to opt out of their CBA. Can you explain a little bit about how revenue is is divided in the WNBA and what's problematic about it and why people talk about wage differentials with the NBA and why that discussion is important? Well, the big thing for the players that are pushing is they want a higher percentage of revenue. I don't, you know, I don't know off the top of my head and please, you know, double check this. I believe that it's, it's, you know, 20% or, or something like that. And I think the NBA players get like 50%. Um, so it's not, so that's what people have to understand. You know, the players, want more revenue share you know they understand that the league doesn't make as much money as the nba they understand the difference the differential there 
So um, they're not just saying, you know, pull this money out of thin air and then give it to us. They're, they're saying we want more of revenue share. They want other amenities too, um, as far as, you know, better travel. I mean, these, these players like coach, you know, that's why we had all the, the, the challenges last season um, with the aces who ha- had a chance to make the playoffs last season, but one of their games, they had to forfeit because of, of flight problems that were out of their control. So, um, so yeah, better travel is one of those things. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Just a total side note. So I write for the athletic WNBA, which just launched last or this week on Monday and uh, Katie Strang, who's a, uh, Who's, who wrote for the Athletic um, Detroit, I believe, uh, she did a whole article on the CBA and broke it down. Um, so there's a lot in there to, le- to learn and, um, and read about and just get familiar with what's going on. But so, yeah, that's basically what it comes down to, Dave, is the revenue share is really kind of the sticking point. And, and I think the players that are involved, going to be involved in these conversations are, 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 are players who, who are – the right people to be doing it um and so they're younger they they are i don't want to say are more brazen but you know they just they have more um uh they want to get more accomplished they want to they want to really fight for for what they believe they deserve and um i think what we're going to see in the fall is is when that starts taking place is um they're not going to be easily um pushed aside Mm. Yeah, I, I hear that. Now, there's been some interesting rhetoric and discussion about Adam Silver, uh, commissioner of the NBA, and how he supports the league, but then how also he down-talks the league a little bit. Um, do you, what, what's your assessment of Adam Silver and his level of support for the WNBA and how he goes about supporting it? I don't, I don't, like, I want to believe him on his face, you know, because he's been a great commissioner for the NBA, right? Um and he said he has said all the right things, but as somebody who writes about the WNBA on a regular basis, and I've interacted with with NBA PR for certain articles and stuff because you know that's what that's what you go through to get certain information. It's not easy to get the information you need as far as finances and financials and stuff. If I'm writing something that's a, like kind of a positive outlook of the league, it's easy. <laughs> it's easy to get what I need. Um, but when I have you know, I know people who have done some digging and um, were unable to get specifics. And so how can you say that the league is, you know, constantly losing this amount of this X amount of money if you don't release any financials about what, you know, so so to be transparent so we can actually see that. Um, I'd, I'd, I think that the NBA can do more and I think they know that they can do more. And it's, you know, and I think the players know that they can do more. And so you have this kind of tug and pull where he says, you know, that he's invested, but then, you know, he'll make that comment. I think the comment um, that was going around was about how, you know, well, the WNBA is losing X amount of money and, and we're, it caught a lot of us by surprise because we were like, really, where's the, can we see the report on that? Can we see the, the financials involved in that? And, you know, it's just, it just, it seems like such a random comment to make when he was talking about, you know, the future of the league itself. So what do, what do I think uh, about Dave over? I think, uh, I think he could do a lot better. Um, I think the, that 
there's so much here to, to grow and build upon. And, and marketing league has been awful. And, you know, that helps. That helps with ticket sales. It helps put people in the seats. You know, you need to market these players. You need to do more. And so if he, if he, he should put his money where his mouth is, you know, he should, if he really wants to back up his words of support, he needs to do that with action. And that needs to be seen. And that especially needs to be seen with whatever uh, CBA um, uh, comes out this fall and what they, what they uh, agree upon. If I gave you an unlimited budget and said you're in charge of marketing for the WNBA, how would you do it better? (laughs) Um, There's so much more you could do as far as showcasing the players, I believe. I mean, you know, there's a few players who you could say off their face. People know who they are and and, recognize them right away. But if you want to get them out there, I mean, um, I'm no... I'm no uh, marketing person or advertising person, but I just, just think there's more that could be done. I mean, thing, what they've started to do since the beginning of the season as far as building up the hype, I think is a great start. I mean, there was this video that came out um, a couple weeks ago just with a different logo um, and the different feel. There's a different feel to it. There's almost a more edgier feel to it. Um, so I think helping to build the brand up more, to, to get it out there more, to, to showcase the individual players more, the individual stories. I'm noticing a lot more of uh, t- uh, Twitter engagement as far as there was a video that just came out this week or yesterday. I don't know if you saw it, but it was players addressing trolls. Mm. You know, the, the same no, I old didn't see that. The guy. Oh, yeah, that was great. You guys see it. Look on the WNBA um, Twitter feed and, and, it's I'm, I don't I don't know if they pinned it, but it's it's got to be within the the first few posts. But yeah, so there's you know the guys who go at WNBA players or any woman in sports pretty much go back to the kitchen, and so they have about five or six players on video reading tweets from trolls and then you know addressing them. It's great. It's uh, kind of like that that thing they do on late night TV where actors and celebrities <laughs> read mean tweets. I forget who does it. I don't know if it's like Jimmy Kimmel. It or, I believe. So McKimmel, who does it, yeah. So it's kind of like in that vein. So it's kind of like a play on it, but it's, it's funny, but it's also, you know, it's got a, a, a serious point to it, you know, something to take away from it. More of that, you know, more of that, please. Um, so, yeah, I just, I, but that's not coming from Silver. That's coming from, you know, people like people in the, in the, in the WNBA itself. Um, I don't know how much role he has, you know, I don't know how much, say he has and in, in what goes on but um i think as far as the nba lifting help lifting up they could do joint commercials with with nba players and and WNBA players from like similar same teams they could do joint commercials for that that wouldn't be hard air it during the uh the nba playoffs air it during the finals um you know do that someone mm-hmm. paid me for my idea because that's that's great that's a great idea <laughs> yeah that is a great idea you could you could head marketing you got the See? chops. Well, it's, it's stuff like that. I mean, if you put, you put yourself in a room with a bunch of people who are paid to do this, you can't tell me you can't come up with a better marketing plan and a way to promote these players. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I, I really do appreciate your time. I did want to ask you, though, to do like a, a, a broad assessment. You know, ratings up, um, attendance slightly down from last, like in terms of last year to previous years, although a lot of that can be attributed to the New York Liberty playing in Westchester instead of Madison Square Garden. 
Um, there's always been talk about WNBA insecurity, about how set the firmament of the league is. How, how firm is this league right now in the sports cultural landscape? Uh, well, it's always been on kind of uh, shaky footing. You know, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, pretend that it's, it's, there aren't some precarious situations. But I think what is encouraging for me, and I've seen this because I did an article for for the athletic WNBA earlier this week about how their, their engagement on Twitter and, and their viewership of games on Twitter was used as leverage to get this uh, new CBS uh, sports network deal to air more games. Um, I think what we're seeing is, is a tipping point. Um, we're seeing where it could go. Uh, it could get real. It could get a lot better or it could go the other way. And I don't think it's going to go the other way. I think that, there is a good place to build on right here, right now. The buzz that you talked about, we talked about earlier leading up to this week, I think can extend into the season. Um, yeah, physical attendance was down. And I think the one of the re- part of the reasons uh, you mentioned affected it. But Twitter viewership was up. Um, uh, television viewership was up. So, I mean, you, they wouldn't have been able to secure a deal with CBS if that wasn't the case. Um, so... I think the audience is growing and it has been growing. I think we're going to see the league leverage, continue to leverage social media in order to do that. Um, we live in an era where that is such a low cost benefit for this league and for other women's sports leagues looking to continue to grow and build an audience. Um, and I think, I think that barring what happens with the CBA, this could go down we could look at 2019 as like, you know, look at the NBA in its first 20 years, right? When the NBA merged with the ABA uh, and things really started to take off, we could look at a specific year. I don't know off the top of my head what year that was and say that was the turning point. That's where that the league started to take off. I think we could look at 2019 as that point. Um, should things just go in the direction I believe they're going in. Wow. Uh, that's a great stuff. Uh, Lindsay D'Arcangelo, before I let you go, one thing I ask all, all my guests is about the kind of music they listen to when they write or when they're trying to recover from writing. So what's on your playlist these <laughs> days? Oh, my playlist? I listen to anything and everything, but I am always a R&B, um, 90s R&B, but R&B girl at heart. Um, I like my old school r and I'm a longtime Boyz II Men fan. Um, my all-time favorite group, and I still listen to all of their stuff, all of their covers. But um, if I'm if I'm if I'm unwinding after a busy day of of writing, or even if I'm just you know listening in the background, it's usually um, old school R&B. Do you do sure. boys to men uh, karaoke? Yeah, <laughs> no, no. But my all-time favorite boys to men song is of "End of the Road," and they they have an acapella version that they came out with um, on one of their, their greatest hits album. Um, that is just, it's so good. You got to listen to it. It's, it's All nice. right, I got to throw some, some, some off-the-cuff trivia at you. Do you know what movie End of the Road debuted in? It actually debuted as part um, of a movie soundtrack. Was it, it wasn't Boomerang. It was Boomerang. Um, was it Boomerang? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, nicely done. That's some. That's a deep cut '90s trivia question. Very nicely done. Because I, 
I was thinking, I was like, did I, did I have that soundtrack? I was like, what is Boomerang? Yep. That's a great movie, by the way. Oh, it's uh, so underrated. Yeah. yeah. The, you know, I hope, I'm not sure your audience knows what we're talking about right now. <laughs> Hopefully they do. Oh my God. I used to went through college saying, you know, the secret to my salmon is the rosemary and the butter sauce. That was my, <laughs> that was my jam. That was my smooth oh, line yeah. jam. Oh my God! Nicely done on the '90s deep cut trivia question, Lindsay D'Arcangelo. You you you, uh, you knocked this out of the park, or I should say, you dunked on the heads of anyone and everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on the Edge of Sports podcast. Oh, man, it was my pleasure. Apparently, I need to come up with some more uh, MVP candidates and just my uh, my t- <laughs> my two uh, picks with uh, Liz Cambage and Brittany Griner. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see who shows me up. You know. Has Simone Augustus some space open for I her? See, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Simone, she's, she's, she's got a great all-around game, but she's, she's kind of in those later years, you know, and um, uh, got, she's got some uh, some help around her. I think I get actually Matisse uh, Collier, the, the um, uh, rookie from UConn for the Lynx, is my pick for rookie of the year because, um, she's got space, I feel, to step up and really make an impact on that team. So, hmm. interesting, interesting. Well, I can't can't wait to watch this. That's one going to be one of the fun things is to see how this yeah, all plays yeah, out. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Absolutely, it plays out. And we'll Jewel have to talk Lloyd's. Again once yeah, the... let's talk again. Let's try to talk again about the halfway point in the season and just see where yeah. we're at. That would be great. I'd love that. Excellent, Lindsay. Thanks so much for joining us, especially on this Memorial Day holiday weekend. I really do appreciate it. That is my pleasure, Dave. Thanks so much. Awesome. The Edge of Sports podcast is brought to you by The Nation magazine. Subscribe, please, at www.thenation.com slash subscribe. This magazine is becoming indispensable in the age of Trump. We are reporting on voter suppression. We are reporting on whether or not this presidency is cracking up. And we are reporting on resistance movements, the kinds of things that do not get reported on in the breathless 24-hour yipping head news cycle. Support real journalism. Support The Nation magazine. Thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now I've got some choice words about LeBron James and his connection to Walmart. Look, LeBron James's commitment to using his platform for the greater good is damn near beyond reproach. From the time in 2012 when he helped organize his Miami Heat teammates to pose with hoodies after the racist killing of teenager Trayvon Martin, to wearing an I Can't Breathe t-shirt during warm-ups to protest the police killing of Eric Garner, he has leveraged his mighty cultural capital to be more than an athlete. LeBron has also challenged everyone from Donald Trump to the hacks on Fox News for their racism and venality. He has also put his money where his politics are, starting an educational institute for at-risk youth, the I Promise Public School in his hometown of Akron. His film production company has produced documentaries that show the importance of athlete activism, from his basketball series Shut Up and Dribble to his tremendous Muhammad Ali doc, What's My Name? This is why it wasn't a surprise when he announced last week that he would be taking on the issue of hunger in the United States. 12% of all households in this richest country in the world suffer from what is euphemistically referred to as food insecurity. 
To try and affect this change, LeBron announced that he would be partnering with Walmart to provide for food-deprived families. He recorded a video with Walmart CEO Doug McMillan to announce that he would be the spokesperson for Walmart's Fight Hunger Spark Change campaign. The program will use proceeds from certain sales at Walmart to raise funds for the hunger nonprofit Feeding America. This is what James said in the video with Doug McMillan. He said, It's an honor and a privilege for me and my community and what I'm doing here to partner with such a heavy hitter in Walmart. One out of eight Americans struggle with hunger, and I think one is too many. Yet this decision to partner with Walmart also rankles those who believe that Walmart, the largest employer in the United States, is actually part of the problem. I spoke to Cindy Murray, who has worked at Walmart for 15 years in Laurel, Maryland, and is the leader of United for Respect, a nonprofit that agitates around issues of economic justice. She told me, If Walmart wants to get serious about hunger, they should pay a living wage. Hard stop. Walmart is the largest corporate employer in the U.S., but over half of the associates are food insecure. Many celebrities partner with America's largest retailer, but LeBron ain't going to fix Walmart's image problem. Paying us a living wage would be a good start. I also spoke with Michael Blaine, co-director of the film Dear Walmart, a scathing look at the corporation's labor practices. He said that if he could speak directly to LeBron, he would say the following. When children go hungry in the United States, it's almost invariably because their parents are not being paid enough to cover housing, food, utilities, and more. In many states, Walmart workers and their families are the leading recipients of public assistance, including food stamps, because Walmart simply does not pay them enough. LeBron, your partnership with Walmart on this issue would be far more effective and directly help more children if you also called on Walmart to pay all its hourly employees a living wage so they don't have to depend on food banks and nonprofits like Feeding America for food assistance in the first place. There's a racial justice element to this as well. Roberto Jesus Clack, associate director of the group Warehouse Workers for Justice, spelled this out to me when he said, hundreds of black workers, many of whom are heads of households with children, were recently denied employment because of criminal background checks after Walmart insourced its workforce at their largest warehouse in the country, in Elwood, Illinois. Walmart not only let down black workers, they contributed to a phenomenon that keeps black workers and their families in poverty. As an athlete who has supported Black Lives Matter and has contributed to the discussion around criminalization of the black community, we hope he will support our call for Walmart to hire back these workers. LeBron is a heroic athlete activist, but partnering with a company that is responsible for so much hardship is less about doing good than it is about commodifying someone's philanthropic brand. LeBron could do a great deal of good by not just lending his image to Walmart, but also by supporting the workers' call for economic and racial justice. It would strike a blow against hunger in American homes if the largest employer in this country embraced the most effective anti-poverty program a living wage. Now there invariably will be those reading this who will say that people like Cindy Murray are asking too much of LeBron, that he's just a basketball player. But LeBron himself has broken out of that box and insisted on being seen as more than an athlete. He wants this power and he wants this weight. With that weight will invariably come criticism, especially when choosing to swim with sharks like Walmart. Here's hoping LeBron hears these voices and acts accordingly.
We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now it's time for the part of the show we call Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down. This week for the Just Stand Up Award. Stand up! We've got someone um, who flows atomically with Socrates' philosophies and hypotheses that perform armed robbery. We have... Allison Felix, the 33-year-old six-time Olympic gold medalist sprinter. Six golds, by the way. Wrote about how her pregnancy hurt her relationship with her sponsor Nike in an op-ed for the New York Times. This is classic whistleblowing. It was brave and it was beautiful. She says that the company, which does all kinds of woke marketing, you know, they did the Kaepernick ad and all the rest of it, was far from supportive of Allison Felix. Felix writes that Nike put pressure on her to get back to training ASAP after her C-section. And they basically said, congrats on your baby. Now here's a 70% pay cut in contract negotiations. 70% pay cut after her pregnancy. Now you got to remember that track and field athletes like Allison Felix depend on these kinds of sponsorships as their primary income. Felix in the article, and again, this is classic whistleblowing wrote that she didn't want her sponsorship money to go down if her performance dipped post-pregnancy. And Nike said no, because they are a rapacious organization that pretends to care about social justice and athletes, but in reality, they are sharks. And this is what Felix wrote in the New York Times. She wrote, I wanted to set a new standard. If I, one of Nike's most widely marketed athletes, couldn't secure these protections, who could? Now, I heard a follow-up interview with Allison Felix on the Dan Lebitard show, and one of the things she said was that women athletes were congratulating her and thanking her, and she was being overwhelmed with messages from women athletes who had also been basically held up by Nike in a similar way and had been uh, really prejudiced against because they dared have children while being athletes. And... It's worth pointing out that she said that a lot of these athletes thanked her for speaking when they felt like they could not. And I thought that was so interesting because it just points again to the bravery of Allison Felix. Because if it was easy to speak out, everybody would do it. As John Carlos once said to me, he said, if standing up was easy, everyone would do it. Allison Felix stood up in the tradition of people like John Carlos and Tommy Smith. Thank you, Allison Felix. You are a whistleblower of the first order, and you win our Just Stand Up Award. The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award. Sit your ass down. Sit your ass down goes to the chief honcho of the NCAA, their quote-unquote president, Mark Emmert. It was announced this week that last year, Mark Emmert made $3.9 million to head up this alleged nonprofit built on unpaid labor. $3.9 million. And people ask, where's the money to pay the athletes? $3.9 million. And guess what? That marked a 60% pay increase for Emmert. 60%. 
Now, I want to read from an article in Yahoo Sports about what makes the fact that he got a 60% pay increase this past year all the more outrageous. This is what they wrote. The eternally embattled Emmert received a 60% increase in compensation, according to the NCAA's 990 financial disclosure. Emmert's pay skyrocketed from $2.4 million from the previous year to $3.9 million, thanks to what was described as a one-time $1.4 million deferred payment that was written into his contract. The timing of that payday is coincidental, but also far from ideal. Here's what happened during those 12 months when Emmert was making a financial killing. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York and the FBI were blowing the lid off of college basketball, making arrests, filing indictments, and doling out subpoenas. The 2017-2018 season was played under a cloud of suspicion and investigation that still hasn't lifted that could well result in vacated 2018 NCAA tournament appearances and victories. That was the year Mark Emmert just had. And he got a 60% pay increase, $3.9 million. Nice work if you can get it. Mark Emmert, you parasite, sit your ass down. Kaepernick watch, which usually we do. I'll just say it was great to see Colin Kaepernick sitting on the sideline of the Golden State Warriors, Portland Trail Blazers game four playoff game where the Warriors completed their sweep of the Trailblazers. It was just very nice to see Colin Kaepernick near a professional sporting event, even if it's not the NFL. And there's a great shot afterwards of Steph Curry telling one of his kids who Colin Kaepernick was and said, "Uh, don't worry, you'll hear of him someday. And that was just very moving and touching. Athletes know what Colin Kaepernick sacrificed even if uh, the league does not. Although I do agree with Jamel Hill, and I've said this before, that decades from now, I bet you the NFL has like some sort of social justice award or community service award named after Colin Kaepernick. You can just see that happening. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's show. Thank you to everybody for listening. Please listen to the other podcasts put out by The Nation magazine, the sponsor of this podcast, particularly their new one, Next Left, with John Nichols. It's absolutely amazing. Their first episode, they interview Ilhan Omar. Uh, I can't wait to see what they do next. It's really terrific work. It's called Next Left with John Nichols. You can get it on iTunes or you can get it right off The Nation magazine uh, website, thenation.com. Thank you to everybody for listening. If you like this show, you can support us on Patreon at edgesportspod slash Patreon. It all makes a huge difference, every cent. We really do appreciate the support. Uh, For everybody out there listening, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.